Thanks for joining us for another edition of Bearcat Rewind. We're wrapping up the Northwest Missouri State Bearcat basketball season, finishing up in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Another terrific run for Northwest. MIAA regular season and tournament champs just ran into a really good Southern Nazarene team there in the second round. So despite that, still celebrating the basketball season, we're joined by one of the greatest coaches the MIAA's ever seen. And from Northwest Missouri State, that's Steve Tatmeyer, the man that coached Ben McComb whenever he was a player back in the early 2000s. Coach Tatmeyer, thanks so much for your time. How are things out your ways? You're kind of settling into March and a chance to watch some, some really good basketball around the country continue. Yeah, it's, it's a great time of the year to be a basketball fan and get to watch all the games. And uh, you, you get a whole lot of it, and then you go cold turkey, it's over. <laughs> so you got to enjoy this next couple of weeks for sure. We've got the Elite Eight for Division Two coming up. Of course, NCAA Division One's tournament's getting started later this week, so a lot still to come. Uh, from the Northwest perspective, it is disappointing that it came to a close earlier than we would have hoped. We've been awfully spoiled these last few years with uh, the success going. Uh, but as a coach, in the moment, you know you have an idea of Coach McCollum and kind of commiserate there of been through some some great wins, some tough losses. How long does one like that linger, or or is it? Is it easier to kind of step away from everybody and just, hey, I'm just going to move on and go? Yeah, it, it's just interesting. It's uh, it, it, it'll linger for a while. You know what makes him so great? Uh, um, you know, number of things, but he's just such a such a competitor. You know, and uh, you know, and so much of that's just self inflicted. Obviously, he's had so much success. You know, the average person could sit there and just just uh, take comfort in, hey. <laughs> yeah, I've won four of these things already, or or whatever. But uh, you know, he he loves his kids and, and hates to see them hurting, and wants to continue. So it it takes a lot out of you. But uh, but that's what that's what makes him such a such a great coach. And um, it'll it'll take a little while. But I think you know he's he's a pretty grounded guy. He'll have perspective too to know that winning thirty plus ball games and uh, winning that conference and the conference tournament just an awful lot to be proud of. You know, we look at it, of course, from the win-loss perspective and the hardware and all that being brought in, but um, as a coach, you've been in those shoes, and, and, and part of the difficulty of it is the finality of, all right, we're, we're turning some of these guys loose, they're going to graduate, they're going to go into the world and, and start their own families, and we won't get to see them quite as often. How Does that hit a little bit harder, do you think, than, than the term? And obviously, you'd love to finish the season with a win and have that memory, but the other part is, as he mentioned about Diego Bernard in the press conference, you know, I don't get to see this guy every day next year and, and spend some of those moments. And, um, you know, he's got his own kids, but kind of that extended family with these players. Is that part of it, too, of, well, now we're we're going to grow apart a little bit, and you hate to see that happen? No doubt. No doubt. It's it's just uh, it's it's not just losing a ball game. But, you know, that's, again, there are so many things that make, make them so special and so unique as a coach. And uh, one of them is his relationship with players, you know, and uh, – I've talked to him enough, and he, you know, he loves all his players. But yeah, a guy like Diego was just really, really special to him. I know, so you know that's that's over. But you got a, a lot of a uh, lot of good memories, and now, like he's, you kind of alluded to, you know, just to watch what great things he goes on and does from here, and to know what he did there at Northwest is a a great foundation. You know, he's from a great family and has a great foundation anyway. But the things that he uh, he uh, went through at, at Northwest during this great run. will have an impact on the rest of his life and the, and the other other players also. So it's uh, it's it's part of it. It's, it's emotional, but uh, again, 
when you sit back and look and, and put it in perspective, just so many, so many blessings. You mentioned that we're about to get a whole lot of basketball and we go cold turkey when it comes to a close as everything kind of wraps up at the end of March and we, we head off into the spring and April moves on. From the Division Two perspective, and there's been a lot of talk about regionalization in, in the central region, how competitive it is. Um, but going back to whenever you were coaching in, in the MIAA, and, and, and I can remember this as a student kind of going through thinking of, boy, these are some really good teams, but you're not guaranteed anything. How difficult is it? to get into the NCAA tournament in, in Division Two, and it is regionalized like this, and you do have so many contenders right here within the NSIC, the MIAA, and the GAC. Yeah, it, it really it really is uh, is brutal. You know, I look back at my years at, at uh, Northwest and, you know, with Tom Smith at Missouri Western and how competitive they were, you know, Bob Chipman, you know, half the uh, – names you bring up got their names on the floor you know bob chip and robert core and gene iba i mean just uh, at pittsburgh state the, it was just such a battle in league and then uh, uh to get a bid was so competitive and that's what you know my early years uh, i started as an assistant in the early 80s at northwest and they would they would send you out of your region you know if if you had two or three teams that were really the top teams in the country and and it just made more sense. And, the, you know, they came with the regional concept. And I think, you know, talking to Austin on the women's side, they're really getting penalized in the MIAA with the regional concept. And it, you know, it all came down to, it all came down to money. I think mainly it's just, it was so much more expensive to send teams out of their region, but, uh, but to have the, the best tournament possible, you know, there's, there's still times where the, you know, the, the national championship may have been played, you know, uh, in the semifinals of one of these regions, like it, uh, you know, when you beat Northwest, or a few years ago when Northwest was up at Northern State and had that that unbelievable game there with two great teams, you know, that probably was a national championship game at that point. Two great teams had to compete against each other. So uh, I don't have many answers anymore, but it, it just doesn't seem fair to stick some of the best teams in the same region and see some of the teams that come out of the. Uh, different regions when you get to the elite eight that are good teams, but probably maybe wouldn't finish in the top four in the, in the MIAA. And that, you know, I think you've seen that in football, you know, that Northwest, you know, rich was, you know, felt lucky to get in. And uh, then they go down their first round and beat a second rate team in the region or whatever handily, you know, because the, the league's so, so strong. So uh, money's always going to be a factor, but it'd really be nice at some point to be able to send, some good teams and separate them and send them to different regions. It is absolutely brutal trying to go through this central region. Hopefully they do get a little progressive and kind of change things up as we move forward, but I feel like we're probably a little ways from actually seeing change come about. Um, when we do think about getting outside the central region, it feels like there's a lot of defense being played, especially right here in the MIAA. Then all of a sudden you get out and you'll see some teams that want to run and score 100 points and, and just – you know, we're going to maximize the amount of possessions in a game by getting up and down and um, hopefully shoot at a high percentage and just outscore you. Is this a change from the 80s and the 90s? Of Was it more half-court oriented in defenses? And um, is this kind of more recent phenomenon that you've seen? Uh, no, I, I think I think the same factor was, was there. I think within our league, the play was... Was very similar. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it was a slow down type game, but you didn't have the West Liberty type uh, of uh, you know score a hundred points a ball game. But uh, 
but being able, you know, the key to being a good team is being able to to adjust to different styles and to uh, and to uh, be able to, you know, you know, just uh, instill your style and, and your will on other teams. And hey, here's how we're going to play, you know. And I think, you know, I think that's what Dan has done such a great job. One of the things he's done such a great job at Northwest is when they get to those uh, elite eights. You know, he he knows what he's going against, and he uh, he adjusts. But he also is there. His team's so sold on what they do, they make the other team adjust to them, regardless if they're a running team or what they are. And a great example I thought was last year in the championship game. I know his philosophy of not doubling on the post. You know, has been very successful with that, with that big man on the other team. I was like, he's going to have to adjust this game, and they just kept doing what they do, and then uh, eventually, uh, you know, started taking the, the big guy further from the basket and making the, the exposing him at the defensive end, and just adjusted by what they do so well. So it's it's always interesting, but you see teams within the league that uh, that have big wins, but they they aren't as consistent because of what you're saying, you know, just playing a different, against different styles and, uh, and, and um, you know, getting taken out of what, what their strengths are. And that just, it doesn't happen very often at, uh, uh, against Northwest Missouri State. We said it right there, Ben McCollum just so good at adjusting and, and making sure his team's prepared for whatever's coming at him. And a lot of times we hear from Coach Mack and he's talking about his roots and it comes back to Steve Tatmeyer and what he learned from you. Do you remember recruiting Ben McCollum or seeing him play at North Iowa Area Community College before he came to Northwest, or did he seek out Northwest Missouri State, or, or how did that um, work out that he became a Bearcat? If I remember right, we we were the ones that seeked him out. We seen something we really liked him, but it was I don't think we even. I know I didn't in person go see him in person. One of our assistants made, but it was more on videotape and then bringing him in and, and liking him, uh, you know, and just, you know, like a lot of times in recruiting, it might have been more more dumb luck than uh, than really. But we, we seen something we liked in him. And, uh, you know, my former assistant, Darren Vorderberg, he's out at Hawaii Pacific as a head coach, and I spent uh, three weeks of the, the beginning of practice season with him this year, and we were talking about Ben, and he said, you know, I could just always remember him in preseason conditioning and all the things we did, you know, just, you know, always just the way he could drive himself and the self-motivator, and, uh, you know, he played on some really good teams at, at Northwest, and, uh, you know, he was just, whatever his role was, it was just, uh, you know, he was a leader and, and just uh a tough guy that, uh, you know, he can play through pain, uh, whether it's injuries or just, you know, conditioning when you get tired, just being able to kick that door down. He, he had all those qualities. And I think, you know, when you, when you watch these teams play, you know, a lot of times, you know, oftentimes coach, uh, teams take on their coach's personality. And I, I think you see that with him that he's, he's just, uh, you know, he's, he's done a lot of, he does so many good things, but you know, when, you talk about recruiting. He, you know, he hasn't just talked kids out of going to other schools to come to his schools. He's identified the ones that have the special qualities you need to to improve and keep getting better. And uh, you know, he had two guys this year, if I'm not mistaken, that have appeared in NBA games. And D two guys don't play NBA basketball, you know. And those 
those were not high-profile guys out of high school. He developed them, and he's seen those characteristics in them. So I, I think that they're just a lot like like he was, and he's he's figured all that out. He he picks those guys out, and they get better and better. And uh, and like I said, you know, a couple guys playing the NBA is just unheard of. I mean, he's he's pretty relentless and, and tenacious out there, and and you know, he's I've heard him talk, tell a story about how he was sick went out and got an IV maybe overnight, came back to practice the next day and didn't really tell anybody and just kind of being the competitor he is and being over the top sometimes, did you ever have to pull him back in practice or say, hey, we're just walking through today, Ben. You can you can just relax a little. Yeah, I, I don't know if you had to do that. He always had a – he was a great teammate, but he always uh, – you know, he, he came off the bench on an Elite Eight team with – two Hall of Fame guards playing in front of him and Kelvin Parker and Scott Fleming. And uh, and a big strength of that uh, team was our practices were war every day. And it was not me as much as just, you know, our our guys that they, they competed against each other. You know, our second team a lot of days were, were winning games in practice. And a lot of it was, was Ben running the point on the, on the second team. And, you know, he obviously played a lot in – in the games also, but just how competitive our practices were. And, uh, and, uh, I don't, I don't remember calling him back off of that. It wasn't a deal where we had fights in practice or anything like that. It was just guys competing against each other and, you know, and they all respected that fact that I think when they look back, they, Hey, we made a, uh, an elite eight that year because, you know, of our entire team and just, uh, guys like Ben that, uh, brought it every day. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Northwest Foundation, providing support for the Northwest Alumni Association and the university's funding needs since 1971. More information is available on Facebook or online at nwmissouri.edu slash foundation. And Clorinda Regional Health Center, offering support to Southwest Iowa and Northwest Missouri each day during times of uncertainty through a local team of providers and nurses. More information at clorindahealth.com. Now back to this week's interview. When he left to become a financial advisor, then came back and said, you know, I think I want to be a GA and, and go into coaching. Is that something that you're like, yep, sign up, let's do it? Or, well, you know, that's a grind. You sure you want to do that? Financial advisor, it's a good path right there. Was, was that a quick yes from you to say, come on back? Uh, you know, it was, it was real late in the year. He actually, I don't know if he had accepted the job. I know he had a job offered at Wells Fargo, and he was obviously – you know, he's just one of those guys that I figured, you know, he's he's going to be super successful in this field and make a lot of money and hard to tell him what he'll end up doing. And and before that, if I, you know, I'm getting old, I don't know if my memory's right, but before the year was over, I know it was late enough that we already had a GA and he came back and wanted to do it. And, and I think, you know, he, I think he did the first semester or something on his, you know, on his own or whatever we could do to help him until the GA opened up. But, uh, you know, we were excited to have him do it if he wanted to do it. But, yeah, what you're saying, I'm not going to really want to do this. You know, it seems like he got such a bright career ahead of you or anything. But uh, but it was it was to our benefit when he came back. Obviously, he was great as a GA. And um, and uh, David Mowat and Poria had just come in the league and said, outstanding coach and he liked the things we were doing at northwest and then whenever uh, he had an opening just at the right time and and brought him down there and then you know he was such an important part of, of emporia's success you know and uh, and he was 
he was, you know, off to such a great start coaching wise. But coaching's a a weird thing, you know. It's got to be the right opportunity at the right time, and uh, and uh, he's just, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing, you know, what he's done as a coach, and just, you know, just gotten better all the time, and that's what great players do. And I think even winning these national championships every year, he's trying to figure out how to get a little better next year. We kind of mentioned it there of timings, everything in coaching and, and getting those openings and, and being able to have the right athletic director to help bring you in and everything um, in that regard. You mentioned being at Northwest as an assistant, then eventually becoming the head coach, what, in 1989, 408 wins, a 662 winning percentage at Northwest Missouri State. When you look back at your time, did you think, you know what, I think I'll be in Maryville for quite a while, or was this just kind of a couple years, we'll see what opens up after that? Yeah, I uh, yeah I really when I came uh, to Northwest as a 23 year old assistant, you know, I was just happy to have a job. But uh, it was kind of uh, you know most humorous. I mean, I played at Southeast Missouri State, and uh, they were in the MIAA at, at that time. And when I first started coaching, they were they were in um, even as a head coach, they were in for two or three years. But uh, when we would come to Maryville, it was a bus ride with on a bus with out a bathroom in it at the time, and it, it seemed like it was going to another country. And when we got to Maryville, both years, my junior and senior years that I played at Semo, it seemed like there was a foot of snow on the ground. And I remember thinking, why would anybody live here? You know, and uh, I ended up uh, being there 25 years, and it's a great place to be. But yeah, I, I didn't, uh, yeah, I had already had a taste of it when I took the head coaching job, so I knew it was a a really special town and, uh, and a lot of great people up there. So I, I really was excited to get the job. I was 30 years old. I wasn't thinking about the next move, but I probably didn't envision being there 21 years as head coach either at that time. Well, you had so much success too. That's obviously led into continued success at Northwest Missouri state. And, you know, not right on the interstate, not the best amenities around. It's it's a town of just 10,000 that does really well, and it's a, it's a friendly community. But when you look at it from the outside looking in now, you know, uh, kind of it's been a little bit since you've been a head coach at Northwest Missouri State. What is it that does attract student-athletes and high-quality coaches and, and allows for this community to, to be so successful in so many different avenues? Well, when you talk being off the beaten path, one of the things uh... – that I remember back is when it was a two-lane highway from Savannah to Maryville, and you'd bring recruits in and tell them, uh, pick them up at the airport and say, go ahead and take a nap, because you felt like they, by the time they started seeing the cornfields and the two-lane highways, it was, uh, it was filled even more out of the, uh, out of the way. But I, you know, I think, you know, there's just, like a lot of places, there's a lot of uh, great people that live in Maryville, but I, I think it's, um, unique in that the size of the town makes, Bearcat athletics a big thing in the community, and I think the the community you know embraces the the teams and uh, and it's just like an extension between the town and the university, uh, you know, just the the, the family close knit type of feel, and then you know alums like to come back because it's it is you know they've had great experiences when they've come there, so then you have the alumni base that's so close with the with the teams and you see that at the MIAA tournaments, you see that at the elite eights or the way the teams travel and, and just how much it means. But I think it's, it's really unique and it, it's, it's not such a big town or city that, uh, 
that the school gets gets lost and there's so many other things to do it is you know something that everybody takes pride in and when recruits come in they you know any place they go whatever business they go into whatever restaurant they see you know uh, Bearcat signs and uh, indications of the university and the teams all over. So, it's it's really a it's really a, a unique thing. And you know, we we've had players go there that uh, that we'd signed years ago that were from cities, and and it was kind of like, man, this is laid back, kind of boring, or what. And it didn't take long till they just embraced it, and they just really liked like that that family type feel that comes from the university and the and the town being so so closely knit so uh yeah i think uh i think ben i think coaches and some of the other sports also is have really used that and then you know it's 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 really appealing to the kind of kids that you're going to have success with too a lot of kids that when their families bring them up but you know the families feel good it's a safe environment where they tell they can tell people care about the about their son or daughter and it's, it's just a a place you you want them to be, and that they feel you know they're excited to come back and watch games, and just uh, uh, you know between parents, players, fans, university, uh, uh, faculty and staff, it's you know, alumni, all of it put together just makes for a for a real unique, uh, real unique feel. We look back at, at your impact here and the fingerprints that you've left on so many players, and you kind of look at your coaching tree, and I know I'm going to leave out. Some, but at least Ben McComb, Austin Meyer, Adai Houston, uh, Jesse Shaw, Coach V, who's at Hawaii Pacific. How often do you get a phone call, a text, um, an email, just something of, hey, want your advice on this real quick? Hey, what do you think of this? Or just a real quick phone call, just talk about basketball for a little bit, or even maybe just family and beyond. I mean, how how close knit is that that group of um, guys that played for you and have stuck around the business? Yeah, it's it's just it's something I sure follow them. You know, it always means something when you get calls. But it's the more years you get away, the fewer calls you get. Not obviously, Ben McCollum don't need to call me for advice. You know, that's for <laughs> that's for sure. But uh, but uh, yeah, it's just good, and it's it's good now. You know, to see not only them as coaches, but as <clears throat> as parents. You know, I spent a couple years, uh, you know, helping Jesse at Maryville University, and you know, to see what kind of what kind of uh, dad he is and raising his kids and all those things too. That's really a, that's really a, a, a special thing. And just, uh, you know, you just look back and just very blessed to have, you know, so many quality people that you were able to coach and you just, if they're in coaching or whatever profession they're in, you just really like, you enjoy seeing the success that they have. And, uh, you know, that's uh, part of the, uh, the benefits of, of the profession of coaching where you, and around so many of these young people. You've had a lot of great relationships outside of basketball, too. One of those a couple of years ago, they dedicated the tennis center to uh, Mark Rosewell and had that unveiling. You came back, spoke to it. Um, just a relationship with yourself and Coach Rose, you know, personal guy that's been here for so long, but feels like that's still a pretty tight-knit relationship as well. Yeah, yeah. We talk every now and then, and, uh, you know, he just continues to have tremendous success, you know, and it's just a uh, I actually was was at Northwest as an assistant for a year or two before Rosie came in and took the head coaching job and, and probably was one of the first people to have him over for supper and, and get to know him. And he's obviously anybody uh, anybody that knows Rosie knows he's a, a unique guy and uh, has just really been become a big part of that university for, for 
for years and years, you know, the mid, mid eighties. And, uh, I've learned one thing whenever anybody, regardless what city they live in or what country they live in, if they call and say, you'll never guess who I just seen uh, yesterday. Uh, I know what name to pop up because it's going to be Rosie. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> uh, Coach Tapmeyer, I appreciate you taking some time to talk with me. If, you, if you're okay with it, I've got just like three more quick ones, then I'll sure. let you go. Um, I talked to Dr. Har last week or so, and I asked him, in your primes, after seeing you at Southeast Missouri State, Ben McCollum at Northwest, who would win at one-on-one in their prime? Of course, he's very diplomatic, and he said very different players. Um, but from your perspective, and tossing out the modesty, would, would you take Ben one-on-one? <laughs> if, if I could, that'd be the only thing I could take to that. But, uh, but uh, he, he probably would have been in a lot better condition than me, but uh, I, know, I know it would have been competitive. Nobody would have given each other anything. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Typically, everybody wants to say, who's the greatest Bearcat of all time? That's hard, and that's not fair, so I'm going to throw you a different one. Who's the most underrated Bearcat that you've seen come through in your tenure? Oh, boy. Underrated. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I got to go. Uh, well, that's, that's all right. We should have hung up here three or four minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> you know, a guy that comes to mind that I coached uh, was a, a five-year guy that redshirted and uh, and was just a big part of, that Ben played with, was a big part of uh of uh, our teams that didn't score a lot of points, but just uh, was a great teammate and, and played a lot of minutes was Chris Borchers. Uh, that's not a name that comes up much, but, uh, but he just uh, brought it every day in practice. When you talk about a lot of Ben's qualities, he'll, he probably would, uh, would uh, talk about Chris too. And that, you know, a lot of times you get so much attention when you score points or you get the uh, all conference awards or that sort of thing. But, uh, but just a, a tough guy that made everybody better in practice was a great teammate. Uh, uh, that's the first one that popped to mind. And as soon as I hang up, I'll be thinking of some others that, uh, that whoever I made mad probably by not bringing their name up. <laughs> You'll get a text. Don't worry. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> all right. Last one. You're from the east side of the state. Are the Cardinals winning the World Series this year? You know, the Cardinals have a way of, uh, of getting your hopes up for new uh, uh prospects that are coming up but uh i've talked to people that are non uh, uh cardinal fans uh, one of them being uh, jerry mullins that used to run a big uh, scouting service that lives in arizona now and he tells me jordan walker is the real deal if that's the case uh you know i think uh, our everyday lineup could be one good enough to win it that we're <clears throat> we're still short a pitcher or two but we got plenty of prospects if we stay in it till july i think they can make a trade that that uh Kind of like getting to the elite eight. If you get to the playoffs, you got a shot. And I think, uh, I think, uh, I think we got a shot. And uh, and uh, I'll be there. Uh, I'll be a Cardinal fan rooting them regardless. I'm sure hoping so. That's what I'm telling John Coffee. Just got to get to the trade deadline, get another starter there. We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right, that's what I think. Yeah, that's good. Coach Tatmeyer, thank you so much for for the time and chatting with us. Of course, uh, always love when you come back through Maryville and see you in person. But uh, glad we could do this, and hope we we can talk again soon. All right, I enjoyed it and appreciate it. That's former Northwest Missouri State head men's basketball coach Steve Tatmeyer joining us here on Bearcat Rewind. He led Northwest from 1989 to 2009, a 408 and 208 career record, the winningest coach in program history. 
Three regular season MIAA titles, four conference tournament championships, also went to the NCAA tournament ten times, including two Elite Eights. Before Northwest, he was 62-32 and 32 at East Central. He was the head coach at Umsel after Northwest for four seasons, went 52-30, and 30, so everywhere Steve Tatmeyer went, he was a winner. And he mentioned playing at Southeast Missouri State was an all-MIAA player, averaged 16 points per game his junior season, so a pretty good student-athlete as well. Really appreciate him jumping on, chatting with us here today, talking about the current Bearcats, but also some Northwest Missouri State players from previous decades as well. Great to hear from him. And thank you for tuning in for the podcast. Be sure to check out some of the archived editions of the podcast as well. Our last one was with Dr. Patrick Hart, the Northwest Missouri State team doctor for the last 49 years. That's going to wrap things up for us today. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. I'm Matt Tritton. We'll talk to you next time.